This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elkshape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host, Welcome to season five. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. Elk Shape Podcast, sitting down with Adobe Mike, talking nothing but antelope archery. So if you are into antelope pronghorn, this was the podcast for you. You know, I used to be a pretty diehard high country, backcountry mule deer in the velvet hunter, and I still love that. But something about antelope just got me to where that's my new primer for elk season. I love to go chase these crazy buggers on their playing field in the desert, dodging rattlesnakes and crawling on my belly through sagebrush flats and topography, spot and stock, ground blind. We're going to talk all the tactics. He's got a pile of questions that he's composed. He's going to ask me them. I'm going to try to answer them. Hopefully you guys can learn something about antelope hunting on this podcast. We are very close to elk season, friends. This tip is brought to you by Vortex Optics. This tip is to download your maps ahead of time before you go elk hunting. So I'm doing a lot of e-scouting on OnX, Google Earth, transferring waypoints, and then just make sure that you download the entire unit or units you're going to hunt. Even if you're not convinced you're going to go there, it's better to have and not need than to need and not have. Speaking of Vortex, we have a discount code ELK10. Takes 10% off your glass purchase with any Vortex product at eurooptic.com. 
Check that out. Elk 10, 10% off. Get yourself some razors and get to going. This podcast is also brought to you by Numa Outdoors, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Vortex Optics, Baku, E-Bikes, Crispy USA, Crispy Hunting, Buck Knives, Matthews, MagView, Wilderness Athletes, Spy Point, Kufaru, Black Ovis, Sheep Feet, Elk Collective. Appreciate you guys. Let's get to it. We're talking antelope hunting. Here we go. All right, guys. What's up? Dan the Fitness Man here. We're going to do an antelope podcast today. That's right. Antelope. This is elk shape, but we're talking about antelope because it's my favorite wild game meet. Michael Scrogan out of Colorado. What's up, man? Not much, Dan. How you doing? I'm good. What's the name of your podcast that you just dropped? Oh, it's called the Hunting Stories Podcast, and it dropped yesterday, uh, 620. That's legit, dude. And it's nothing yeah. but hunting stories, no fluff, right? Just pure. No fluff. I like no, it. The, the basic idea was I didn't really want to do much of the talking, and I just wanted to hear some people who have been hunting a little bit longer than me and their favorite stories, whether it's uh, sad stories, happy stories, funny stories. I, I've got about 12 recorded right now, and they're all over the place. I've had some some grown men basically in tears telling me something that's really important to them. So it's been a lot of fun. I like that. That's cool. We're going to get into it because that's my style. We're going to talk about antelope hunting and specifically questions that you had. And then full disclosure, bro, I'm not the world. I'm like the world's okayest antelope hunter, but I try hard. I've killed antelope in only three states, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. So I've never hunted Southwest antelope because those tags are hard to come by, but would love to, but we'll get into your questions. But first, how long have you been hunting? Oh, uh, we'll say about six years, six to seven years. Um, but it wasn't really hunting for the first three years. It was just going out with some family members just to try and, you know, meet the brother-in-law and, and father-in-law and, and get closer to them. Didn't really fall in love with hunting until about three years ago. Okay. And then you kind of got serious. Yeah. And I've been more and more serious. It also coincides with having children. So I'm being as serious as I can while putting in lots of family time. Uh, but I love it. And this year I'm like, I'm going to go antelope hunting. I've, I'm looking at, looking at it as just additional reps to get me even more ready for September and elk season. Yeah. And that's truly, we're on the same page. This is all, it all distills down to elk hunting, man. This is just preparation for that, the best appetizer, which is antelope. And then hopefully the full mill deal on elk meat. Where are you elk hunting this year? Colorado. Um, I didn't draw a tag that I was hoping for, but I'm going to be going over the town over the counter. I did draw a mule deer tag to kind of bundle into it. So if I see a doe, I'll put some meat down and then get back to elk hunting. Uh, I bet you do that. So elk hunting wise, are you going to put a lot of boots on the ground since you're, you live in Colorado or is this going to be, I don't have time, young family, all e-scouting. There's going to be a lot of e-scouting. So last year I kind of put all my eggs into one basket. And uh, this year we're going, you know what? That's not going to happen again. We know that area well enough. We're going to work on, since it's over the counter, right? We have 60 units. So I've narrowed it down to about seven. And I've told my hunting buddies that we all have to pick two units and we have to have at least 10 spots. Then we're going to get together and we're going to narrow it down from there. But we're going to make sure that we don't just have a plan A and spend a week looking at a hillside with no elk on it. We're going to have a plan A through Z. So. Do you think any of your hunting buddies will miss their assignment and get booted? I, we had a con- I actually had a conversation with them uh, this Saturday. We had a barbecue and I was like, here's the deal, boys. If we want to hunt together. This is what's required. And they were like, so basically you don't want to do it all. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do it all, but I want you to be as serious as I am. And so uh, I've, I've given them, I've sent them the emails with all the stuff that they need to know. And now they just need to do it. And I haven't heard anything back yet. So we'll, we'll see how serious they are this year. So you're quarterbacking and vetting at the same time. I dig that. I mean, 
those are nuggets in itself. You went to Elk Shape Camp in Texas. What's uh, a golden nugget from that that you learned or you're going to execute on? Oh, man. Um, what, I mean, there's so many. One was, of course, the uh, the not get all my eggs in one basket. I think that's the biggest one that I've really been clinging to. But I've also just met a ton of great people, um, including Ben from Wad Prep. Him and I actually went out shooting this last weekend, and him and I talked about potentially going hunting this year because he's taken the entire month. I don't have that luxury, but uh, I think that when I'm going to be out in the woods, he doesn't have anyone to go with. So uh, I know he doesn't need to be vetted because that guy's super serious. Yeah, he is super serious, man. That's cool. And he's a pretty fit guy. Yeah. Yeah. I told him that uh, I'm, I'm not going to be moving quite as quick as him, but I'm slow and I will never quit. So what else do you need? Then other than that, um, how many kids do you have? I have a, a three and a half year old little boy and a nine month old girl. That's young. That's tough to be gone. That's a burden. What are you doing to mitigate that burden? Oh, well, I uh, go out of my way to make sure that there's a very full house for my wife. So last year she was nine months or eight months pregnant during elk season. So I went out for only like five or six days, but I made sure that when I was gone, her best friend was here. Her parents were here. I made sure that she had all the support that she could possibly need. And this year the plan's going to be similar. So I'm going to make sure that there's folks here, um, my parents, her parents, whoever she needs to make sure that she's not losing sleep because of the kids so that I can go out and run around in the woods. Uh, And then beyond that, every year I put together a honeydew list and just say, put stuff on there. I'm going to knock them out, try and get them all done by September. That's awesome. Well, guys, we're going to get into uh, Michael's questions. He's kind of written down a handful. Since you host a podcast, I'm sure you can take the ball and run with it. Let's, uh, let's get through as many of these as possible and let's brainstorm as well and, uh, see if we can get some antelope excitement going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I figured I'd start it off with, uh, well, I've obviously seen your videos and that's what kind of got me asking you, but, uh, I've seen you both do spot and stock and blind hunting. And I don't know the, I mean, I don't have a preference. I've never been antelope hunting, but I was curious to hear your thoughts on one versus the other and, and which one you lean towards or start with before maybe going to the backup plan. Okay. Yeah. Both suck to be honest with you straight up. You know, the ground blind one is attractive because obviously you can get your bow pulled back undetected. Theoretically, if you have a fairly quiet bow and you don't have a squeaky chair and the antelope commits, but they're going to come into water. Obviously like that's 99% of antelope get killed probably at water when you're talking ground blinds, but I do ground blinds over slides, which is weird. And that doesn't work everywhere, but antelope for the most part, do not want to jump over a fence. They want to slide under. I don't know what it is. Now I've seen antelope jump. Sure. But their first choice is to go under and it's really obvious. They'll use well-marked trails. You can see the skids, you can see the slides and you can see the hair on the barbed wire. And that's generally an agricultural type or wherever there's cattle ranging antelope have to deal with fences. So if you can find like a chunk of public private, you can kind of set up on a slide that gets well used and get your ground blind 30 yards off that slide, probably perpendicular to it. And then they'll run up, they'll pause for about six tenths of a second and then they'll just commit and they'll sprint and they'll just slide under almost like in one fell swoop and they'll be under the fence 
So obviously you got to shoot them before they cross. And then obviously if you shoot them, they're not going to go slide under the fence. Once an arrow comes at them, they're going to get hit in 180 and run back on obviously public land, I'm assuming, or the land you have permission to. Um, so I'm not ever concerned about them getting shot and sliding under. I've just never seen that. But that's mainly, uh, now I have killed antelope over water in a ground blind. And so that's going to be a little bit different. But all in all, ground blind to me is boring. And it's like 15 degrees hotter inside those blinds. And when you hunt antelope archery out west, it's generally August 15th-ish. And it's 100 plus in that blind. You're like literally in your underwear and you're drinking like ice cold water and you're bored to death. And you, if you fall asleep, there's a good chance you're going to miss an opportunity. Uh, and it's all day sits and the, it's a lot of daylight. So I don't recommend that for the faint of heart or for the ADD type. And then there's spot and stock. Now I do a mix of blind and spot and stock on purpose just because I like to mix things up. And so literally I'll do spot and stock generally like probably most of the, the day, the heart of the day. And then I'll only sit the blind in the mornings and evenings. And those are over slides, Mike. So I'm canning on these antelope to go into these ag fields that are private pretty much in the morning and in the evening. But during the day, they're out in the hot desert BLM doing whatever they're doing. And, and I'm not patient enough to sit in a blind over water in the middle of the day. Uh, I'd much rather be in terrain that is more spot and stock friendly. So to answer your question, both, I don't know that that would be my preference to have maybe playbooks for both depending on where you're at. Blackovis.com is where I buy all my gear. I use the discount code ElkShape. It takes 10% off. Very few exclusions apply. Shipping is fast and free. They're already great prices. And when it comes to getting your gear in your hands early 2022, it's never been more important. Number one, supply chain issues. Number two, inflation. Don't wait. Your prices could go up on everything. And number three, get the gear in your hand. Test it and vet it before the season. Blackovis offers clothing, footwear, optics, gear, archery, camping, several different brands, lots of SKUs. We've partnered with them because we believe in them. Use a discount code ElkShape, save 10%. TheElkCollective.com is a website that I started with John Gabriel several years ago. We wanted to create a digital, virtual, educational learning platform where you could watch videos and learn how to elk hunt. Learn specific tactics from several different subject matter experts who hunt in different states. If you're an elk hunter, you've signed up for being a student for life. So join The Elk Collective and get going. Use the discount code ElkShape Podcast, all one word, and save 20% on your annual membership. Numa Outdoors, I partnered with them over a year ago, I switched from Sika Gear to Numa Gear. This brand believed in Elk Shape and I believed in them. I tested their gear before partnering with them and I was really impressed. Numa has an entire line dedicated to Out West. And here's your lineup if you're in the market. Get yourself the Base Haven Base Layers, the Pursuit Pant with the knee pad that is removable. These are breathable, athletic, good four-way stretch pants that'll help you maneuver and be athletic in the mountains. For a top layer, I recommend a Renegade short sleeve, long sleeve, or quarter zip with a mid-layer Alpha Vertex jacket or vest 
and always have a Palisade Puffy in your pack to wait out storms. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your first purchase from NUMA Outdoors. Faru International, this is the best backpack on the market in my opinion. First things first, get yourself the duplex light frame. Then you can attach any bag that you want. I have several bags in my arsenal, but my top three are going to be the Hoodlum. The Hoodlum is I'm going to use for anywhere from a five to seven day hunt. I can pack out an elk with it easily and I can organize my gear. The next pack of choice is going to be the 22 mag, a little bit smaller than the Hoodlum. This is more of like a two or three day effort. Perfect for the elk hunt, perfect for the elk mountains, perfect for getting around and keeping your gear organized. Last but not least is the new Hellbender. This is the Striker XL on steroids. This is a pack that I'm going to be using exclusively in 2022 elk hunts. All three bags fit on my duplex light frame and with Kifaro you can customize your setup with accessories. I generally run on my right hip the water bottle pocket gen 2 for my Nalgene, a small or medium belt pouch and generally a small medium large pocket somewhere on the bag. You can also backfill with the Sherman pocket or guide lid and inside my bag I organize all my gear with Kifaro ultralight pullouts. When it comes to sizing your frame, the belt, the straps, they have great customer service. Just pick up the phone, give them a shout, tell them Elk Shape sent you, talk to their customer service representative, get the exact size you need, buy one cry once and enjoy the best hunting backpack on the market gotcha okay so from what you gave me there there isn't really necessarily a peak time other than maybe the morning's blind and then you just run around during the day spot and stock or did i reverse that no that's that's what i do but now depending on where you're hunting now what if you're hunting somewhere where it is blm and you found a dynamite water source um i guess i shouldn't like i'm just I always think from a public land hunter's perspective. So I, when I say BLM, I'm just thinking a lot of antelope live on BLM, and that's usually what guys, they're, they're not knocking on doors. They're not paying trespass fees. They're, they're hunting public. But regardless, if you're at a productive water hole, and you'll know real soon if you run a trail camera or you go around and look at the tracks, you'll know those antelope do get water every day. And it seems like they'll get water between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. like hottest part of the day unfortunately you do need to be in the blind and yeah. in those instances then it, i would reverse it i would do the inverse i would be maybe spot and stocking till like nine in the morning and then i'd haul ass over slip in the blind and suffer all day waiting for a shot and then maybe about 5 p.m try to run and gun the last couple hours something like that but i like a mixture but you'd probably have more success if you just stayed dug your heels in and stayed in the blind and waited for that shot opportunity. And I will say the magical distance that I think for a ground blind setup is 40 yards. Anything past 40, they can get a little matrixy with your arrow coming at them. And anything under 40, they get really like jumpy nervous with the blind, even if you brush it in. So 40 has been kind of that sweet spot where I feel like really confident that the arrow is going to find its mark. And even if they duck, dip, dive, dodge, duck, they can't get out of the arrow's way. I have had one of the nicest bucks I've ever shot at completely matrix my arrow. And I shot him for quartering away severe. And I think part of that was the shot selection. I should have waited for more broadside, more less margin for him to move, but 40 yards and then do the mix, you know, blind spot and stock. If, the terrain permits otherwise just park your ass in a blind gotcha uh, as far as the blind do you um always sort of brush them in or do you often just leave it just as a blind and and how do the antelope tend to react to that showing up 
Um, do you typically put it out three, four days in advance, a week in advance, or do you just roll in that morning, pop up a blind and sit down? Okay. So a lot of BLM, I'm going to go back to BLM rules is that you can't set your blind out any earlier than 14 days prior to the opening day. Mm -hmm. And you need to have your full name, number, address, I believe in the blind written on your blind. Um, the reason why I bring that up is I've learned the hard way that there's a lot of dudes that don't follow that rule. So if you're hunting very competitive areas, you'll see some guys put their blinds out three weeks in advance. My first year of really hunting hard for antelope was 2007 and I lived in Boise and I went, this is back when the Hawaii deserts was over the counter and I scouted my nuts off and I found the dopest water spot and I read the rules and I was like, okay, 14 days. I got it. As soon as it's getting daylight on the day that I'm illegal to put this, my blind out, I'm going to be there. And this was a really cool water spot in the middle of the desert. You had to ride a dirt bike to it. I roll up just as it's getting daylight and there's two dudes sleeping in a tent and their blinds already set up. Come to find out you can set your blinds up at midnight. If you're, if you're looking at the actual letter of law. So those two smart bastards set their blinds up at midnight and they were fast asleep while I had, and, uh, they were cool. They both killed within a couple days and messaged me that it was open. But by the time I got there, they basically killed the main two bucks that I wanted to kill. So I learned that lesson the hard way. So there's two things going against you. If you can, if you have a really good spot and it's competitive, be there at midnight, 14 days prior to the open. Don't cheat. It's just an antelope. Set it up. Make sure your name's in there. Go from there. But there's a bunch of people that still cheat. And I call it cheating because they're putting their blind out way in advance just to mark it as theirs. And in that instance, it's up to you what you want to do. I personally just let them have it. But uh, part of me would like be tempted to set my blind up as well and just be like, hey, leave them a note and say, hey, I, um, here's the rules. Circle it. <laughs> leave it in their, their blind. But um, it does happen a lot, to be honest with you. So as far as brushing them in and stuff like that, I do take the time to at least take the flaps out on every side of the ground blind, make sure I cover them up with dirt and rocks so that it's really airtight. And I try to create like a little bit of a backdrop so it blends in pretty well. And then I'm like, I don't like to have very many windows open at all when I hunt anything out of a ground blind. So there's not much of a breeze coming through. My scent's not really getting out. I can't see much. They can't see much. And that way, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's a game of waiting, but, uh, as far as, uh, you can set a blind up probably the same day and get a shot. And then there's other places where antelope are really hip to it and you, and you need to give it a few days. But, um, for the most part, I, I wouldn't be surprised if guys could set up same day. I would just encourage them to probably give it at least a week. I generally try to do that. And I will do that this year. I will put a, I will put a blind out probably too. It is 10 days. It's not 14. It's 10 days. I, I here I am confessing the rules, but it's actually 10 days prior to the opener. So like if your opening day is August 15th, August 5th at midnight, you can put your blind out. So forgive me, everybody. I made a mistake there, but yeah, 10 days 
I'm going to take advantage of the 10 days. Onyx Hunt. This is the number one digital hunting application. I take it with me everywhere I go on my phone. Download your maps ahead of time and you know differences between state, BLM, national, private. You know where roads are at, terrain features. You can do all your e-scouting from a desktop via the desktop version and have all those waypoints and information transferred to your phone. Having a tremendous amount of confidence that it's not going to crash in the backcountry when you need it most and that you are legally hunting where you're allowed. The Elite membership will allow you to get free access to Hunt Reminder. This is a great app that will notify you when draw deadlines are approaching so that you never miss a deadline. You also get access to Top Rut, which has arguably the best draw odds in the business. And if that wasn't enough, you also get access to Hunt in Full, their digital publication with each state breakdown and analysis so you can plan your hunts ahead of time. All this for $99 plus when you enter the discount code Elkshade, it'll take 20% off. Wilderness Athlete. This is a supplement company, not a marketing company. The difference being these guys spend their dollars reinvesting into product development. And I have been partnered with them for a very long time. They just came out with their new hero, which is Hydrate, Energize, Recharge, and Overcome. All you have to do is add water. Make sure you pick up a couple boxes of those for elk hunting season as well as hydrate recover energy and focus the green infusion daily multis fish oils probiotics protein powder post-workout pre-workout whatever you need whatever the goal wildernessathlete.com enter the discount code elkshape30 to save 30 percent off your first purchase baku e-bike elite fat tire e-bikes to help elevate your game i use the mule people ask me why do i not use the storm because i hunt out west and i need the extra wattage to get up steep terrain find a dealer near you by heading to baku.com for a quick little demo ride to see for yourself or get yourself a backcountry e-bike a trailer an extra battery use the discount code elk shape to save 300 off your purchase and utilize these e-bikes when you're chasing turkeys bear deer elk any sort of trail logging road where legal they are an awesome resource for you to get in and get out quietly and if you have a trailer hopefully you're hauling precious elk meat back to the truck black rifle coffee company i am a huge fan of coffee probably guilty of maybe drinking too much but i love black rifle it's my alternative to starbucks these folks at black rifle are pro hunting pro 2a veteran owned i can tell you right now you guys should check out the coffee club join the club and you're going to get free shipping on your club orders automatic deliveries on your schedule so you can program it for when coffee should arrive at your doorstep you'll get exclusive discounts from over 50 plus partner brands and you can always tweak tinker or modify your subscription at any time to suit your fancy my favorite all time is the flying elk that should be no surprise black rifle is a huge partner of elk shape they support our message of crushing the elk hunting learning curve and leveraging elk hunting Check out Black Rifle Coffee Club of the Month into the discount code Elkshape. Save 15% off and enjoy America-driven coffee from a veteran-owned company. What would be the etiquette on, like, if uh, I'm hunting midweek? I have a couple of days in the middle of the week where I plan on getting out there. In fact, opening day, I think, is a Monday. Um, and I run into a blind, but no one's in it. It doesn't look like anyone's in it for a couple of days. Would you hunt their blind, or would you just set up your blind next to it? Or, or what do you think would be the best case there? Yeah, so I would not want to sit in their blind because I would not want someone in my blind, but it's written in the rules. You can sit in anyone's blind if they're not using it. So you're not doing anything illegal now. You said etiquette. I just think it would make sense to put a blind up right next to theirs, and then if they roll up and say, hey, get out of here, this is my spot, you can say, well, technically it's not your spot. This is public land, but I could have hunted your blind. I didn't. I set my own blind up and then just try to work it out. Some people are cool. We're like, you guys can kind of like, I've had interactions with dudes that weren't that cool, but we basically argued at the fence. We were both there 10 days prior. Um, Actually, my blind was set up first, but technically they'd been hunting that spot for years and years and years. And if I'm being honest, I knew that and I got there on the day. And I just don't think they've ever had to worry about someone else wanting their public land spot. And I set up my blind and they must've come in a couple days later and opening day, they were there. I was there and we had words. 
you know, I was not in the wrong by any sense, but we negotiated to where I would hunt these days. They would hunt that days. I've since then left that spot because I just don't like doing that. And so that's going to be my ultimate tip is like, just find a new spot, get away from people. There's always plenty of antelope and it's not worth having fisticuffs over this spot, that spot, but it's still going to happen. Just play nice, be respectful and pretend that your little kids right there watching you lead by example. To go back to the antelope a little bit more and away from the hunter ethics, what is, what does their day look like? I, I understand at this point what an elk does, you know, during the day and then they're moving in the mornings and the evenings. What is it? What does the antelope do during the day that they're up and moving, getting water? When are they feeding or, or what does that timeline look like? This is kind of like a, not the answer you're looking for, but they are predictably unpredictable. Yeah. Expect them to do shit that doesn't make sense. But let's just try to pretend one's acting fairly, quote unquote, normal. They're going to be on their feet most of the day. They are going to take breaks to lay down and take like little cat naps, 30 minutes, an hour. I don't generally see antelopes lay down for more than an hour or two tops. And then it seems like they're going to get up and feed a little. Some antelope don't know anything about the rut. Other antelope think the rut's earlier than it really is. And then some antelope are like switched on. Some are super curious and some are super spooky. Uh, But generally speaking, in the daylight hours, this is why I like hunting antelope. There's no time where you should be back at camp. Like you can be hunting them all day long. And I love that. So they're going to feed most of the day and they're going to get water at some point during the day and they're going to lay down at some point during the day now antelope are up at night too but i just from all my trail camera video footage i just don't see them move around that much at night gotcha um when uh when you're spotting stocking you said they're curious so what does that look like are are you wearing camo are you wearing white i've heard white actually makes them curious um what, what what is what are you looking for when you see a curious antelope i've seen a lot of guys strap one of those decoys on their bow the kind that that you can shoot through and they think they can walk right towards antelope and i've never seen that pan out for anyone especially in wide open country Um, i'm certainly going to wear camo and where i hunt specifically i'm going to wear snake gaiters because i i probably end up killing and i do kill rattlesnakes um i'll get messages like you're a jerk but i don't i don't like rattlesnakes and i don't care um, and then people were like, well, are you going to eat them? And um, the answer is no, I'm not going to eat them. I'm just going to kill them. I don't like them. I hate crawling on my belly in the sage and hearing that buzz. I don't know. I run into double digit rattlesnakes. So if you're not into rattlesnakes, try to find canyons that don't have rattlesnakes. And it's so crazy. Like I've hunted places where you could go 10 miles any direction. You're not going to run into a rattlesnake most likely. And then there's other places where there must be a den nearby. And no matter where you go, you're going to step on a rattlesnake. Unfortunately, both places have antelope. So I want to kill an antelope more than anything. I deal with the rattlesnakes, but I wear camo. I face paint. I tr- I'm, I'm all into that. Now I've never had the white flag, the white towel, the flashing, flashing a decoy none of that's ever brought an antelope into actual archery range so for me i've given up on that kind of stuff and it has worked for some people i've seen videos like 
DVDs. I have DVDs where guys do that, and it works out pretty good. But all in all, the only thing I do to kill antelope, spot and stock, that maybe people might think is kind of cool is I bought, but moo cow, like big red from uh, Montana decoy. And I have a big black one as well. And a lot of times antelope are mixed in with grazing cattle on, you know, BLM and national forest grazing ground. And, um, the cattle kind of give you, give you up before you even get in close. And so what I've found is that I can kind of, let's say these antelope are 300 yards out and there's a nice rolling gradual hill that I can get to that would put me within a hundred yards of them. But I have all these cattle and stuff kind of in the area. I'll throw that deke up, block the antelope's view, and then I'll just kind of work on the periphery of the cattle and I can close 200 yards and then I'm going to put that decoy down. That decoy is worthless for me once I've gotten to about 100. In some instances, it's, it's worked really well on antelope when there's, when there's few cows in the area, but the cows aren't close. I can use that moo cow decoy to get pretty darn close and then kind of put it down and be like, surprise, mother. <laughs> Ultimately, I do use a moo cow decoy over any other decoy. And that is just to get to the little terrain features. And th- my preference is to get to natural terrain features and then go full on stealth mode. I hope that makes sense. Are you like me? Do you just love trail cameras? Slightly addicted to them? Yeah, guilty as charged. I work with SpyPoint. They have several affordable trail cameras. Some are going to be cellular. Some are going to be non-cellular. So the differences being, one, the Force Pro, non-cellular, very affordable, extremely reliable, just under $200. Or you can look up the Link S, that's the dark, or the Micro LTE Twin, where you get a two-pack of cellulars. They come with the SIM cards, so you don't need to pay out-of-pocket monthly to utilize your cellular trail cameras. You can download the free app and get your 100 photos a month that you choose. Cell trail cameras are where it's at, where legal, and where you have at least two bars. You're going to get extremely important real-time information, and you don't have to go in and disturb your area, get your scent in the ground and bump any animals. I like trail cameras from a biological standpoint. I don't really depend on them to get animals killed, but I do depend on them to understand animal behavior, biology, animal densities, and see if I can focus on patterns where I can take advantage and know how to get in and get out of these places. So I am addicted to trail cams. I love the app. It's bulletproof from SpyPoint. So check out SpyPoint when you get a hot minute or next time you're in the market for a trail camera. If you're looking for cellular, I'm probably going to recommend the Link S Dark over all of them. But if you're on a budget, get the Link Micro Twin 2-pack where you have two cell phone trail cameras working for you under $200. Or if you just want to run normal trail cameras, check out the Force Pro. There's a couple different versions out there. I use the Force Pro or the Force 20 both are really sweet and then last but not least if you already have a trail camera and you want to turn it into a cell phone trail camera they have a product for you called the cell link 59.99 attaches to your existing trail camera you don't have to have a sim card and it will start sending you photos to your phone check out spypoint.com for more information vortex optics a partner of elk shape since 2010 veteran known based out of wisconsin the vip warranty itself that's transferable whether you buy your vortex optics used from a buddy or buy it retail from a store that vip warranty follows your product no questions asked you break it they fix it we're gonna give you guys a quick little tip being a handful of months away from elk season one thing you can do right now, and this tip is presented by Vortex, is that you can start writing on the calendar your hunt plan, the dates that you plan on leaving, so that your wife or your spouse knows what you're thinking ahead of time. Sounds silly, but I used to not communicate very well with my wife and then surprise her right at hunting season and then, hey, I'm going to be gone the entire month. Not anymore. Now, as soon as I draw a tag or have a hunt plan secured, I'm up on the calendar, writing it down and going over with it. Even though she's probably gnashing her teeth a little bit at me, at least it gives her plenty of time to plan around and make sure that we are on the same page. Happy wife is a happy life and to hunt your best, things need to be dialed at home. This tip was brought to you by Vortex. 
Go to Vortex Wear and use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save 20% on your workout scouting gear that Vortex Wear makes. Appreciate you guys' support. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, Wisconsin, rocking the V3X29 and 33. I think you guys know this by now, but I'm pretty much in love with that 29. It fits me like a glove. I like the 33. It's probably my favorite bow to shoot, but when we're talking about chasing elk in the elk woods, I'm going to pack that 29 around. Fits me a little bit better. I shoot it a little bit better. You should go test drive a V3X. I think it's their best product to date, and you can really streamline your setup by using the bridge lock to get the sight in the middle of the riser. You have the new Low Pro quivers that fit tighter than anything has ever fit to a bow. You can really streamline your setup with the new technology from Matthews. Plus, they run the cross-centric cams, so you can easily switch out mods. You don't have to switch out limbs if you want to change your draw weight, your draw length, or your let off. All that can be done without a press. Matthews Archery, killing it, and I love shooting my Matthews. I'm absolutely in love. You guys should go check it out at a dealer near you. No, that does. That makes total sense. I assume every opportunity doesn't work out perfectly for you, so when you do blow an opportunity with that spot and stock, once you get within that range, the animal's obviously going to sprint, you know, speed goat. What's their memory like? Are, are you going to be able to get another play on that animal if you can keep them in sight in your optics? Are you, if you see them slow down, you know, a mile away, can you make another play on that same animal or is it better to just move on to the next one? Yeah, I think you can make another play depending on how bad you booger them. Sometimes they're going to run and they don't even really know exactly what they saw. They're just their, their instinct is to flee, but they also their instinct is to get to the highest ground and get a better look. So they could run 100 yards, and that might be the terrain they needed to get a better look at what you were. Sometimes they got to run a half mile to get a better look. But they always travel in a way where they have the high ground where they can see out in front of where they're going. And I think they personally have an effective range that's like you're not safe to move, make a lot of movement at 500 yards. Like they'll pick that off no problem. Whereas an elk, you know, that that's like half of – the distance of what probably an elk could do. I just try to pick, you know, like depending on how bad you spook them, if they had to go a country mile to get the high ground and look at you, I don't know if it's worth going after them because they might not be there by the time you kind of get into reposition. But I'm certainly, I have pounded the same antelope day in and day out for weeks at a time. I still haven't killed this one. Um, This would be like year five going after him. He's actually degressing, but he's just a, I've even shot at him. I mean, I've literally almost killed this guy 16 times. I've hunted him day after day, and he's hes not like he's getting hipper. He's still doing same dumb stuff. It's just, you know, luck's been on his side. So, no, you could definitely hunt him again for sure. I generally pull off and back out and maybe go to the next group for sure. All right. Um, do, do they stay in bed at night, or can you put them to bed like you can an elk? Yeah. Now, I mean, I think that just depends on antelope. Generally speaking, yeah, for the most part, I think you can. Um, there's exceptions to that rule. I have seen, again, I'm not out at night hunting antelope. I can only go off 4K trail cameras that are on video mode. And I'm seeing them mill around. I'm seeing them move. I'm seeing them travel. But it just seems like the ev- it's like some of their advantage is taken away, I think, without as much sunlight or daylight. And so I don't think they move as much or as far. Um, and there's always exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, you, you put a group to bed, quote unquote, I think they're going to be within a mile, let's say of where you left them the next morning. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I know you said earlier that the, some rut when they're supposed to rut, some rut whenever, and it's all over the place. When typically is the rut? When should I expect that to be? Honestly, I'm a diehard elk hunter, so I can only tell you what I've heard. It's in September when I've only killed one antelope in September, and that was actually last year. And that was just because I hadn't killed one yet. And I got lucky. I was actually driving home 
the elk hunting sucked and I was going home to take care of my wife. She was having knee surgery and I was like, ah, I'll give it one more shot on those antelope. And I pulled in and I swat and stalked and killed one that day. And that was in September. Other than that, I'm not going to be spending September days chasing antelope. Hell to the no. So September is generally a little bit before elk, but they've been known to rut into October. They've been known to rut halfway into August. Um, I would say by the end of August, you should see bucks starting to thrash sagebrush and with their heads and run off other bucks and start establishing pecking order. But I haven't seen any real chasing of does and full on fights to the death at all in August. And then early September, I've seen it a little, but it seems like the bucks really start cruising that second week in September, first week in September, somewhere in there. There's that really trying to find Mrs. Wright. Yeah, we're getting through these questions pretty quick. Uh, what Do you have any like must-have gear? I know you're an elk hunter, but is there anything that you're like, I bring this antelope hunting? Yeah, so snake gaiters for me. I'm not going to wear snake boots because I, I hike so much, but I just bought snake gaiters from like Sportsman's Warehouse. I gives me peace of mind. That's definitely a must. And I, I, knee pads for sure, like actual hunting pants that have knee pads or wear actual knee pads you're crawling around in your knees non-stop yep. elbow pads potentially face paint make sure your bow is not shiny at all and if it is you might need a rattle can it or something and then as far as like actual gear gear goes i like that montana cow moo cow decoy i bought mine off amazon i think it was a hundred something bucks but if you're going to hunt them in the rut in September, I would certainly try decoying with maybe an antelope doe or buck for sure. I have those. I just haven't made it to September to chase them. As far as like your bow setup, I'm going to give the green light to shoot them with a mechanical. So you might like this year I have a 411 grain arrow total weight with the 125 Grim Reaper fatal steel that I'm going to be hunting antelope with. And, um, that's just because it gives me a little more forgiveness in the longer range follow-up shots. If need be, it opens them up. They're not super tough. It's just cause they're dainty. If you've never killed one, if you've never actually seen one in real life on the ground, they're never going to, you're never going to be like, Oh my gosh, this antelope's so much bigger in real life than I thought. It's always going to be the opposite. You're going to be like, Holy shit. These things are tiny. Uh, and they stink, but, um, they are delicious. <laughs> They are absolutely delicious, but uh, I have killed them with my other like elk arrow setups and stuff, and it's probably overkill. So I'm running like I. It's pretty windy in the prairie, friends. So you might want to run a four millimeter setup if you're going to archery, just to fight off the ravishes of wind influence on your shot and something you know pretty low pro veins and nothing wind sally and pop possibly a really good expandable like the fatal steel or the sever and let her eat that way and then distances man like i don't think you're ever going to get a shot michael on an antelope spot and stock standing straight up you're most likely going to be belly crawling rising to one knee i have found that the i don't get busted pulling my bow back it's i get busted ranging they are so hard to range because you're sitting on the ground you're crawling you're low to the ground you're lifting your head up and you're, t you're tilting that rangefinder to get over the sage that's in front of you. And you're trying to ra laser that antelope that's out there and you're hitting it, hitting it. And it's reading 26 yards and you know, damn sure it's 50 
ish something and you keep ranging ranging finally you get it okay 48.6 that makes sense then a lot of guys have to slide to 48.6 then they had a hook on and then they got to pull back or look up by the time you look up they've picked off your position and then they watch you draw and then they run the reason why i'm able to tell you that or recite that to you step by step is because that's happened to me so many times so i understand like the cool gizmo-y sites that are built in rangefinders, like Garmin makes one. Mm-hmm. Those are legal in states like Utah and Arizona. They would make a lot of sense for antelope, but I'm kind of old school. I, I don't know why. I just don't, I'm not attracted to doing that. I like ranging. So just know that where you're going to get busted is somewhere between getting that range, which is tricky to get accurately, dialing if you have to, and then getting your bow pulled back. All that needs to happen, practice shooting from one knee, both knees crouched, half squat, all the above. And a lot of guys shoot low when they sit in a chair. So if you're in a ground blind and you've been practicing your backyard standing all summer long and then now you're going to sit in a ground blind, well, if you sit in a chair for any given amount of time, slowly you start to hunch, 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 and then you pull your bow back. A lot of guys are shortened their draw length or they're hunched. And they're not completely upright, making that perfect T position. And so when they shoot, they they end up shooting three, four inches low, even on a good shot. So practice, perfect practice. I always set up my ground blind in my backyard and I put the chair in and I practice probably a couple of broadhead shots a day leading up to antelope season just to make sure. And I even have enough ground blinds to do where my ground blinds are already out. 10 days before the season and I have one at home that I can set up and practice. And if you don't do that, then at least practice sitting from a chair while your ground blinds soak out there. And then man, if trail cameras are legal, please use one. I, I generally, I, my first preference is a cellular because then you're getting real time information and you don't have to go in and disturb it. And I don't soup live super close to antelope country. Um, but old school's good too. Like once you show up, the day before the opener, go pull your cards and study the information. Those really do help timestamp the most productive times. But I'm going to tell you, it's a lot more fun to spot and stock them than it is to sit in a blind. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. My neighbor in 2020, I completely buried a knife into my hand and it was not a fixed blade. It was one of those scalpel replaceable ones that break real easy. And I buried it so deep that I actually, the doctor recommended surgery, which I might've should have listened, but I didn't. Anyways, several stitches later in a week of elk hunting down the drain, I got my hand healed up. Since that day, I've vowed not to use scalpels anymore in the field. And so I've switched back to Buck Knives, tried and true since 1902, made in America, tremendous amount of history. They're also my everyday carry. So you should check out the new everyday carry 22 lineup from Buck Knives. They got the 110 Slim Pro TXR. That's probably my all time favorite for everyday carry. You can also check out the 110 Hunter sport knife or the 112 ranger 50th anniversary edition if you're looking for a skinner i would maybe consider the customizable 113 ranger skinner knife that's the knife that i customized for all my elk shape camp spirit of elk shape camp awards and that's the knife that we use to skin all my elk in 2021 if there's a knife out there that you need they can customize it or you can peruse their website buck knives is a huge supporter of elk shape we appreciate them and we love being their neighbor please be careful when you're breaking down your animal and consider switching to a fixed blade just for me crispy usa crispy boots my favorite boots because they don't require any break-in period for stocking any animal out west it's laponia gtx this is a very affordable boot this is not a 500 boot 
boot. It's very athletic and it's a quiet boot and it's definitely something that could help you sneak in tighter to animals. So if you're a stalker, you might want to check out Laponia GTX. If you're looking for another affordable boot that's perfect for elk hunting, it's the Colorado GTX. I know cameraman Jake and myself, that's our both our favorite number one boot from Crispy. It's the one that gets the most use and two is one. I have two pairs because I like to switch out boots every day. The Colorados are not insulated, which is great for me to keep my feet from sweating. It has board lasting mechanical construction. It includes the ABSS ankle support system, which helps propel you forward. It's got a four flex rating. They're protected with Kevlar triple stitching, polyurethane coated, and leather ran. The height is eight inches and one boot weighs under two pounds. They're super light. They're fast. They're very athletic to help you keep up with elk. The last thing I want to mention about boots is number one, all your hunting starts from the ground up. Choose wisely. Number two, consider putting sheep feet inside any pair of boots that you rock. Sheep feet are a full length custom orthotic built for your feet specifically. Use the discount code ElkShape. It'll take 10% off your purchase. I run sheep feet in every piece of boot I wear. I obviously have several pairs of boots, but the sheep feet are always in there. I think they help me leak less energy every stride, every step. They keep my feet strong and durable. And the last thing I would want for any of you hunting is to have foot issues while trying to hunt. Hunt your best. Include sheep feet on your must list for 2022. I have a feeling. I don't know if I'm going to take any of my game cameras out of the elk woods to put them on the antelope, but uh, I think that's still good advice. <laughs> yeah, dude. Spy Point's got this um, new one coming out June 30th with the dual SIM cards. So it doesn't matter if it's an AT&T or a Verizon tower, it's going to transmit. I think that's pretty badass. But because they're doing that, they're clearancing their micro links. So it's usually like a couple, like 140, 150 bucks for a, a two pack. And I saw him posting something about 89 bucks for two. Wow. And I'm like, hey, I'll take that because, um, you know, those things are awesome. They still take photos even if your cell phone service isn't non-existent. They still work like a normal camera. And then if for some reason you get at least two bars, oh, my gosh, that's – it's exciting. And I like cameras, man. They just – they help explain things that are going on. Yeah, that's good. Now, my question for you is – you're tall. How tall are you? Six four. How are you going to be sneaking up on an antelope spot and stock, bud? What's your what's your tactics? Because I'm five foot six and three quarters. That's a huge advantage. My tactic is uh, fail by trying or learn by failure, whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to go out there and do it. Um, try and make some mistakes and, and learn from. I, I don't really have a plan other than talk to as many people that I have that have done it before. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of places in Wyoming that I've been that. They're, they love the BLM. It's a swath of land, but there's also irrigated alfalfa fields almost everywhere you go out west. And a lot of times, antelope like to eat, you know, seriously alfalfa. But it's almost like they can't just live off that exclusively. They got to mix in sage for their gut, for their GI tract. So the, then they have this behavior of going back and forth alfalfa. Plus, the alfalfa is irrigated, so they get almost all the water they need off that wet alfalfa which is kind of a bummer if you're hunting waterhole antelope and they're getting water from their food. But they generally eat sage and then they'll eat alfalfa if it's irrigated, you know, private property stuff. But all in all, you're 6'4 and you want to spot and stalk them, you, you got to find country that's got either mature sagebrush, which is like five, five feet tall, um, and then the antelope are tough to see in there and they and, – and they, they don't like it because they can't see in there. You don't want to hunt them where I hunt, where the sagebrush is six inches tall, and that it's and it's flat as a pancake. You got to find those rollers, that topography, and the desert will fool you. That's one thing I learned early on antelope hunting in the deserts. It may look like it's flat as a pancake, but it's not. There's a lot of hidden topography 
where you can get away with things that you would not otherwise understand until you try it. And the antelope are fully aware of that topography and they travel that way because they need to see. They need to see. Their hearing isn't great, but they're still not dumb. Their smell isn't great, believe it or not, but it's not terrible either. But you can get, like, it's not whitetail and it's not elk. So if they get like a little flicker of human scent, that doesn't always mean the game is over. Whereas you and I both know if it's a whitetail, it's over forever. And for an elk, it's almost almost always game over as well. But something about antelope, they do vocalize too. They make this chirping sound. But I've never had antelope calls work or fawn. But there's guys that, that definitely do the, I guess we'll call it antelope fawn and distress call. Yeah. And I think there's something about every animal's natural instinct to to protect their young or to go see what's going on. So you might want to mess with that. But ultimately, tried and true, spot and stalk. And what I do is generally very similar to my elk hunting style is I head to the hills. I go where the topography is decent. I use it. I get in close. But I also understand that antelope are predictably unpredictable. And I just try to hang out as close to them as long as possible. Those That last sentence is the key. And once you do that, they'll be going one way. And then all of a sudden, the lead doe will turn them around and start feeding right to you. And you'll be like, oh, I'm an all-star st- spot and stalker. When really, all you did was you got under 150 and you waited for them to change their mind and feed right to you. And then it's game over. And that's that's actually more than likely what will happen. This is great. Um, I guess my final, I have two final questions. One would be, I don't know what I don't know. So what, what do you, what else do you have to share that I'm not asking? Cause I've never been. So is there anything else that, uh, for myself or any other antelope hunters to know? I think you just got to set a goal to get X, X amount of stocks in a day and live behind your glass, like antelope bed down. They kind of almost like melt into the sage spending time behind the glass is super important when you know you, you don't have any located i don't think you're going to be able to spot an antelope with your spotting scope at 2 p.m on the hottest day of the year with all those heat waves and mirages you can totally e-scout your vantages and if you're in good densities like find the most awesomest topography based area to do your bidding Find those secret water holes that only you can find on Onyx and Google Earth. And, you know, get some cameras out, follow the rules, be have some etiquette. Don't be too picky. Like, I hunt a couple states where it's either sex and my only goal is to have antelope on the menu. It's not an ego thing. It's not a – it's just f- the best food and I want it in my belly. So – um, that would be my the things that I would just hammer home, and it's such a good tune-up for leading up to elk season. Yeah, that's the goal. Uh, I guess my final question is, what? Uh, how do you put your antelope on the menu? What's your go-to recipe? Yeah, so I love an antelope burger, like through and through, but um, we fajitas seem to be like we'll cut up any steaks into tiny chunks, get it marinating, and just do fajitas. Anything excuse like that for a little Mexicano dish would be good. Um, But they're really tender. They're not disgusting. They may stink in real life, 
but they, their meat's awesome. The most important thing is once you kill one, don't F around. Like, take a selfie with it and call it good. Like, get to work. I would pull those guts out immediately, and I would get that thing on ice as fast as possible. Usually when I get one killed, I will literally probably put my I, – I film a lot of my stuff, so I'll film a quick recovery. It'll be like 30-second recovery. I'll put the camera on you know, a timer and take like five quick pictures – Maybe shoot something vertical on my phone like, hey, yeah, I got one. And then it's like, put that shit away and pull those guts out and I'll debone it right then and there. Or I'll just pull the pull the bone out, you know, quarters off and get that get the air in it real quick, um, especially if the sun's still on it middle of the day. Like you should not lose antelope meat. And the only way to lose them is to like mess around and like, oh, I'll leave the guts in and I'll just drag it to here. The, no. Like get to work as soon as possible and don't be afraid to pull, like just throw it over your shoulder. Literally, they're not that big and haul ass to the truck or four wheeler. But uh, don't mess around with antelope when you kill them, like get, get them taken care of ASAP. Done, man. Cool. Well, this is good. I think uh, I feel more prepared. I don't think I'm really going to be prepared until I go out there and fail a couple of times, but this has been good, man. Thank you. Yeah. Are you, so tell me about Colorado antelope, which I haven't done. My buddy Santino Castellanos gets it done every year, but I think, I think he has knocked on doors long enough to where he's got some spots on lockdown and he's just a hell of a hunter. But, um, are you, are you going to go get to draw your antelope? Don't you? Well, there is over the counter. So I put it in for antelope and I didn't get it. Um, despite hunting fool and go hunt and all those places saying I had a hundred percent chance point creep got me. I was probably 12% chance. I didn't get it. And I didn't get it this year. Um, and then the more frustrating part is the Colorado second draw opened up today and I got to see what licenses are out there for it. And of course, the license I put in for is available. So I'm going to try again to get that license. Um, for antelope, it's a, a this particular unit is 15 points if you want to hunt with a rifle, but it's three for archery. Yep. So I'm going to get after that one. And then if that doesn't work out, then I'm going to go to the like southeast corner. There's a fair amount of, uh, I think it's Comanche National Grasslands. There's over-the-counter antelope. So I'm going to just go figure it out. I, I basically went on Go Hunt analyzed all the units, eliminated all the ones with 0% harvest because there's obviously no antelope there. And then uh, just sort of analyze the number of hunters and the harvest success rates. And I'm going to dive into those areas and make it happen. I have some time off from work, so I'm going to do it. I can't wait, man. Well, let's plan on doing a post season recap on the antelope we'll cover for like a few minutes, but we'll talk about elk hunting because I have this business model where your success I depend on it. Like I, that's why we try, I try so damn hard at my camps to make sure you got all you need. We don't do a lot of kumbaya campfire stuff. It's like, no, this is Dan from elk shape. We are not messing around like boot camp a little bit, but ultimately dude, I I want you to get walk up on your first elk. So we'll do a recap probably post elk season and hear hopefully some really awesome successful stories. I want to end it with this. What will a successful elk season in 2022, if you had to define it in a few sentences, what does that look like for you? A successful season for me is going to be meat in the freezer. Um, I don't think I'm necessarily concerned about a bull or a cow, um, uh, an antelope, whatever. I just want to put something down. I want to sharpen my skills. And I think that's what I want to do. I think that's my, that's my goal and what I think a successful season would be. It's called the Hunting Stories Podcast. His name is Michael Scrogan. He lives in Colorado. He has kids. 
He also might work for a cool company that I use their products every stinking day of my life. So shout out to Adobe and uh, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed this one. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Mike works at Adobe. That's why I call him Adobe Mike. But he came to an Oak Shape Camp. He's such a good dude. He's crushing it. And uh, he's got a podcast as well. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to his podcast. It's nothing but hunting stories with no fluff. Mike, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate you. You guys got a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing us. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Mike works at Adobe. That's why I call him Adobe Mike. But he came to an Oak Shape Camp. He's such a good dude. He's crushing it. He's got a podcast as well. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to his podcast. It's nothing but hunting stories with no fluff. Mike, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate you. You guys got a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing us. We'll catch you on the next one.